0: سلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور النفس و من سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد الا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallaita ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim innaka Hamidum Majid Allahumma barik ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim innaka Hamidum Majid Respect to listeners we gather for the monthly spiritual gathering and today, inshaAllah I'll be speaking about the humility. Some time ago I spoke on the topic of pride, haughtiness and arrogance. And in contrast, how we should fear that, refrain from it, try to eradicate pride from our characters. And in contrast, how we should try to instill humility. So, I focused on kibr and ujb, meaning pride, haughtiness, self-conceit on that occasion. Today, I'll be focusing on the opposite, which is tawadr, humility. There are many words in the Arabic language which describe this emotion, and trait and characteristic. Khumul. Many different words. All of them point to the same thing. Which is to be simple. Meek. Lowly. Humble. Not only before the creator. But also before creation. Allah loves those who are humble. Just as people love those who are humble and no one likes an arrogant person least of all Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah says in the Quran innahu la yuhibbu mustakbirin verily he does not like those who are arrogant in another verse innallaha la yuhibbu kulla mukhtalin fakhur Indeed, Allah does not like any swaggering, boastful person. In another verse, Allah لا يحب ما أصاب من في الأرض ولا في أنفسكم إلا في كتاب من قبل أن نبرأها إن ذلك على الله يسير لكي لا تأسوا على ما فاتكم ولا تفرحوا بما آتاكم. Again, Allah does not like any swaggering, boastful person. And to say Allah does not like an arrogant person is to put it mildly. For Allah disliking someone is immense. That person is removed from Allah's mercy, is the target of Allah's displeasure, wrath and anger. So when the Qur'an says Allah does not like an arrogant person, Allah does not like a boastful, swaggering person, that's putting it mildly. Otherwise, in one hadith, related by a Muslim, rahmatullahi alayh, in his sahih, and also by others, Rasool, from Abu Hurairah, r.a, Rasulullah s.a.w. says, Al-kibriya wa ridai wa al izari that زَعْنِي شَيْئًا مِّنْهُمَا أَلْقَيْتُهُ فِي جَهَنَّمٍ that kibriya, which means pride. Pride and greatness are my upper garment. Pride is my upper garment. والعظم and greatness is my lower garment. So whoever tries to snatch any of these two from me, or anything of the two from me, أَلْقَيْتُهُ فِي جَهَنَّمْ throw him into Jahannam. And in one narration of the same hadith by Imam al-Hakim in his Al-Mustadrak, the wording is, Allah says, whoever tries to snatch any one of these two from me, I will break him. And in other narrations, I do not care, or I will not care. So when the Qur'an says he does not like the boastful, arrogant person, that's putting it mildly, Otherwise, in reality, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala breaks such a person, both in the dunya and in the akhirah, And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will fling him into jahannam. And one of the reasons is that, or the main reason why Allah dislikes an arrogant person, is that, just like in the dunya, we are all possessive. What doesn't belong to someone else, what belongs to us, we will not allow anybody to gain a share of that. No one can appropriate our wealth, our possessions, our belongings. No one can take away something, whether brazenly or stealthily, because it belongs to us. And the whole world recognises that right. If something belongs to someone, no other person can unlawfully deprive them of that. Otherwise, it's theft, it's thuggery, burglary, it's stealing, it's misappropriation, all the different phrases that we have for such an act. And everyone frowns upon, to, frowns upon it, regardless of religion. Even a simple thing like copyright, intellectual copyright, someone's thoughts, someone's mental, intellectual output. Even they are <coughs> protected by copyright. So if something belongs to someone exclusively, then that individual will try everything to ensure that it's not misappropriated in any way. Well in a similar manner, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has some unique exclusive attributes. And one of them is, as he describes in the hadith, Adama, greatness, majesty, pride. Being proud is forbidden for the creation, but it's an attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In Surah al Hash, where Allah mentions his names and attributes, one of them is, he says, Hu Allah illahu. Al-Malik Al-Quddus As-Salam Al-Mu'min Al-Muhaymin Al-Aziz Al-Jabbar Al-Mutakabbir al is He Allah besides whom there is no god Al-Malik he is the king the true sovereign Al-Quddus the pure the giver of purity As-Salam the one of peace the giver of peace Al-Mu'min the one who grants security Al-Muhaymin, the dominant. Al-Aziz, the almighty. Al-Jabbar, the enslaver. Al-Mutakabbir, the proud. So the later attributes here are very different to the earlier ones. Allah describes himself as being Al-Muhaymin, Al-Aziz, Al-Jabbar, Al-Mutakabbir. The dominant, the almighty, the enslaver. Al-Jabbar. One of the meanings of jabr is to enforce, to compel. And a further meaning is to enslave. In fact, Allah addresses the Messenger wasallam, in one of the verses of the Qur'an and says, وَمَا أَنْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِجَبَّارِ فَذَكِّرْ بِالْقُرْآنِ مَنْ wa'id." That, O oh, Messenger of Allah, you are not an enforcer over them. Therefore, remind, through the Qur'an, whoever fears my fears my threat. So Allah is telling the Messenger wasallam, that even though you are the Messenger of Allah, you are unable to and nor are you obligated to enforce the teachings of religion on anyone. The most, even though you are the messenger of Allah, the most you can do is remind, admonish, advise through the Quran. So whoever's heart and mind are open, they will be receptive to the message. If they aren't, then you shouldn't, and ultimately you can't, and you won't be able to compel them. In another verse, telling the Messenger, sallallahu alaihi تُكْرِهُ النَّاسَ حَتَّى يَكُونُوا مُؤْمِنِينَ What will you compel the people until they become believers? Even the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu could not compel or enforce. So the, one of the meanings of the word jabbār is to enforce, just as Allah says, وَمَا أَنْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِجَبَّارِ O Messenger, you're not a jabbār over them, meaning an enforcer. And for Allah, the meaning of jabbār is that he is an enforcer, and indeed he is an enslaver, enslaver in the sense that his creation are slaves to him. So the dominant one, the Almighty, the enslaver, المتكبِّر, the proud. Kibr, pride, entitlement, entitlement to be worshipped, to be praised, to be feared, to be proud, to be boastful. The entitlement of all of these things belongs only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, our whole Qur'an begins with these words. Alhamdulillahi All praise belongs to Allah, the Lord of the Worlds. Everyone loves to be praised. But Allah says, ultimately, all praise only and truly belongs to Allah, the Lord of the Worlds. And that's why in the other verse, الْحَمْدُ رَبِّ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَرَبِّ الْأَرْضِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ وَلَهُ Allah says, To Allah belongs all praise, the Lord of the heavens, and the Lord of the earth, the Lord of the world. وَلَهُ And to Him belongs pride and greatness, in the heavens, and on earth, and he is the Almighty all Wise. So when Allah speaks about himself in, the, in these terms, this kibr, this kibriya, this pride, this greatness, this belongs exclusively to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whoever tries to snatch it off him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees that person as a challenger to Allah in one of his most exclusive attributes. And thus Allah will break them. But that's still speaking about pride. But I've mentioned all of this to explain why Allah, to put it mildly, dislikes anyone who is proud, who is boastful, who is arrogant, who is swaggering. Because Allah sees that individual, even though he is one of the creation, as being a challenger to Allah in one of his attributes. But conversely, Allah, the Creator, loves those who are humble, simple, meek. (coughs) And the creation loves those who are humble, soft, and meek. And this is why, if someone wants to become close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one of the closest positions to Allah, to become close to Allah, is in (coughs) prostration. The lower a person makes themselves before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the higher Allah regards them, and the more Allah loves them. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal Rahmatullahi alayhi relates a hadith in his Musnad from Amr ibn Khattab radiallahu an Abdullah ibn Umar, his son narrates that my father relates, and undoubtedly this is these are the this is a hadith of Rasulullah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. يقول الله تبارك وتعالى من تواضع لي هكذا رفعته هكذا And Umar radiyallahu anhu imitated the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the narration of the words and the illustration of its meaning. That's, Allah subhanahu, Rasulullah sallallahu wa says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, blessed and elevated is he, says, من تواضع لي hakadha Whoever is humble for me in this way, Rafatuhu hakadha Then I shall raise him in this way. So the more a person humbles themselves before Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honours them, elevates them, and loves them. For Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not see them as a challenger, but as an abd, a servant and a slave. And that's a position Allah loves. Ubudiyah, which is, abd means a servant or a slave. Ubudiyah means servitude. And the rank of ubudiyah, servitude, is probably one of the greatest ranks any human being can achieve. Even the Prophets of Allah, they, they had many achievements. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often mentions, even the Prophet sallallahu alayhi at the moment of his greatest achievements, as an abd, a servant and a slave of Allah. And the Prophet wasallam recognized himself as a servant and a messenger of Allah. In fact, even in the shahadatayn, what do we say? And I bear testimony that Muhammad وسلم, is Allah's messenger and his abd Servant. Prophet told the Sahaba عنهم, Do not flatter, praise, and elevate me. Just as the Nazarenes flattered, praised, and elevated Esau the son of Maryam. Rather, why? They deified him. They made him into a god and a deity, and worshipped him. Rather, the messenger sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, of me you should say, Abdullah wa Allah's servant and messenger. So the Prophet sallallahu wasallam recognized himself as being an abd, a servant of Allah In the hadith of Heraclius We covered the hadith in which it was mentioned That when the Prophet sallallahu wasallam wrote a letter to Heraclius He was the, the emperor of the Byzantine Roman Empire And as was the custom traditionally, and it remains so in some parts of the world Monarchs, kings, rulers, despots would always be addressed and they would address themselves and they would speak of themselves in very glorifying, flowery, flattering terms. And give themselves all sorts of titles. The Lord of the East and the West. King of Kings. That's why in the hadith of Prophet Sallallahu one of the titles that some of the emperors used to use, especially the Persian ones, was Shah and Shah. Shah means king, ruler, or emperor. And Shah and Shah means the emperor of emperors, the king of kings, the sovereign of sovereigns. So the Prophet Sallallahu actually said, Do not say Shah and Shah. For the only Shahan Shah and Shah, the king of kings, the emperor of emperors is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So people would have a habit of speaking of their monarchs and kings and rulers in very flowery language and they themselves would give themselves such titles. But when the Prophet sallallahu wrote a letter to Heraclius, he wrote, من محمد عبد الله ورسوله from Muhammad, the servant of Allah, the slave of Allah and his messenger, to Heraclius, the great one of Rome. So even in his correspondence, the messenger sallallahu alayhi emphasized his servitude and his being a slave and a servant of Allah primarily, often even before his title as a messenger. And that's the greatest rank that Allah conferred upon many of the messengers. Ubudiyah, of servitude. What's a great... Allah, when he speaks about the Prophet wasallam receiving the revelation of the Qur'an, receiving the book. Uniquely, the Qur'an only mentions the Prophet wasallam by name five times. Four times as Muhammad, and once as Ahmad. But... Often when Allah speaks about the Prophet wasallam receiving the Qur'an, being the recipient of revelation, he refers to him not in other terms, but rather simply as a abd. Alhamdulillah kitab. All praise be to that Allah who revealed the book to his servants. al-furqana ala Who revealed the distinction meaning the Qur'an upon his servants. Servant, Abd. That when Allah's servant rose to call out to Allah, the people were close to clinging on to him in attacking him. Abdullah, meaning the Messenger. But his greatest achievement was when Allah carried him from Makkah to baytul maqdis to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to the heavens, in that miraculous journey of Isra and Mi'raj. And on that occasion, how does Allah speak of him when he was shown Jannah, Jahannam, the heavens? He met the prophets. He spoke to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah called him and bestowed upon him such a rank, such honors, that he never bestowed upon any of the messenger or prophets before him. On that miraculous journey, on that eventful night, how does Allah describe the Prophet sallallahu in his greatest, loftiest achievement? He says, "Subhanalladhi asra biabdhi laylum min al-masjid al-haram ila al That glorified be that Allah who carried His abd, His servant, by night from al-masjid haram to al-masjid al so the Prophets of Allah, especially the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu wasallam, when they were at their greatest, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala conferred upon them the title of Abd. And very tellingly, even the Prophet Isa, the son of Maryam وسلم, who has always been hailed, not always though, who for some time after him, but for a very long time now, has, has been hailed as God, the Son of God, one of the Holy Trinity, and worshipped and prayed to as a God. Even that Isa, the son of Maryam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَن يَسْتَنْكِفْ عَنْ عِبَادَتِهِ وَيَسْتَكْبِرْ فَسَيَحْشُرُهُمْ إِلَيْهِ جَمِيعًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says never will messiah the Messiah, disdain. Becoming an abd, a servant and a slave to Allah. And neither will the angel, the closest angels and whoever disdains the worship of Allah. And is arrogant. Allah will soon amass all of them unto himself. So the verse says that even that Isa the son of Maryam. Who is worshipped and hailed as God and the son of God and one of the holy trinity. Even he would never turn up his nose. Even he would never disdain or turn away from becoming a servant of Allah. I've mentioned the story before. That... There was a young man who was a Christian, and he was looking into Islam, and he was attracted by the religion, he was reading the Quran, studying Islam, and he became convinced of the monotheism of Allah, the truthfulness of Islam, and he was ready to embrace. But there was one obstacle, one great obstacle that prevented him from actually embracing Islam. And that was that he had been a devout Christian. And as part of his devoutness and his devotion to his religion and Esau, the son of Maryam, Jesus, that he had always viewed as God. He expressed his feelings in this way, that till today, or till the moment I stopped worshipping, as a Christian. I always hailed Jesus. As God the son of God. One of the holy trinity. And he had such a lofty. And high rank in my view. Since I worshipped him. I prayed to him. He was my Lord. My saviour. Now if I embrace Islam, now. Of course I abandon the worship of Jesus. But at the same time. My heart and mind are just unable to accept and be comfortable with the thought of suddenly and drastically reducing Jesus from the position of God, one of the Trinity and the Son of God, to a lowly, humble servant like any other servant of God. He said my mind and heart, my very being, just couldn't accept that. And this was the obstacle. It was something emotional. It was a mental block. It prevented, this sole thing prevented him from embracing Islam. But he continued his search and continued to read the Quran until he came across this verse. And when he read this verse, الْمَسِيحُ أَنْ يَكُونَ عَبْدًا لِلَّهِ وَلَا الْمَلَائِكَةُ الْمُقَرّبُونَ That never will the Messiah disdain, i.e. turn up his nose, frown upon, disdain, and Yakuna abdin, being a slave and abd, a servant to Allah, and nor will the closest angels. He said when he read that verse, when I read that verse, this suddenly removed that one block, and I said to myself, if Jesus himself has no problem being a slave and a servant of Allah, then why should I have a problem with it? So, the verse is very telling that even the closest angels and the, one pro- and the prophet who was worshipped as a god, if even they do not mind, they do not disdain, rather they love being the servants and the ibad of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then why not us? This is the loftiest rank, one of the loftiest ranks a human being can achieve, which is ubudiyah, servitude, being a true abd and servant of Allah. And that's why in Surah Al-Furqan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes Allah's chosen servants. And there's a long section which says, وَعِبَادُ الرَّحْمَانِ الَّذِينَ يَمْشُونَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ هَوْنَا وَإِذَا خَاطِبَهُمُ الْجَاهِلُونَ سَلَامًا. that سَلَامًا and, and the true servants, وَعِبَادُ الرَّحْمَانِ The true servants of the Gracious One are those. Allah mentions many of their attributes. They spend their nights in prostration and in standing before their Lord. They pray to Allah for their protection from the fire of Jahannam. They spend well in charity in the way of Allah. They abstain from idolatry, from immorality, indecency, from sins. And if they ever do commit a mistake, then suddenly they return to Allah. So Allah mentions many of their beautiful attributes of worship, of prayer, of charity, of vigil at night, of repentance. But Allah begins all of these qualities, Allah begins all of these attributes with humility. Allah says, الَّذِينِ يَمْشُونَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ The true servants of Rahman, the gracious one, are those who walk upon the earth lightly. They walk humbly upon the earth. وَإِذَا خَاطَبُهُمُ الْجَاهِلُونَ قَالُوا When the ignorant address them, they say a thing of peace. They say a thing of peace. It doesn't just mean they say, as-salamu alaykum, because even that can be said very dismissively. So if someone's arguing, and a person very arrogantly and dismissively says, as-salamu alaykum, and walks off, that in itself can exacerbate the problem. (coughs) Rather, whatever they say, they say something of peace to calm the situation, to pacify the other person, to diffuse the situation. They say a thing of peace. They speak humbly, softly. So they walk humbly. They speak softly. Allah mentions many of their attributes, but before all of them, before their worship, their prayer, their charity, their vigil, Allah mentions their humility, their humble walk and their humble gait and humble speech. So these are the uh, the ibad, the servants of Rahman. Allah describes his chosen ones as ibad amongst the rest of creation. Allah speaks of his messengers as ibad. And indeed they were. The prophets of Allah have always been the most humble ones. The humblest in everything. Even though when one looks at their position, their achievements their multitudes of followers one would expect a normal human being not the messengers but any other human being to be proud and arrogant to be full of self conceit on such occasions but remarkably the greater the achievements of the messengers the greater their humility so much so that we have the examples of the Prophet Sulaiman alayhi salam, the Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam, the example of our own Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the Prophet Sulaiman alayhi salam it's mentioned about the Prophet Dawood alayhi salam Allah gave him kingdom but at the same time the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says ma akala ahdun ta'aman qattum khayran min an ya'akula min amali وَإِنَّ <laughs> نَبِيَّ اللَّهِ Prophet says, No one has ever consumed any food better than that which his own hands have earned. i.e. one should work and strive for one's livelihood, not depend on the charity of others. And then the Prophet wasallam continues, That never has anyone consumed or ate any food which is better than that food which is at by earning with the hard work of his hands. And then he continues in the hadith, and verily, even the prophets of Allah Dawood would eat from the effort and the work of his own hands. So Allah had given kingdom to the Prophet Dawood alayhi salam. Allah had bestowed wisdom and knowledge and prophethood and kingdom upon him. He was a king and a prophet. And yet even in that position of being a monarch, an absolute ruler, with the wealth of the nation at his feet, the Prophet Dawud alayhi salam would consume his food with the effort and the earning of his own hands. His son Sulaiman alayhi salam, Allah gave him kingdom, an immense power. Allah made the wind subservient to his command, as is mentioned in the Qur'an and Sulaiman alayhi salam along with his father was not just given knowledge wisdom and prophethood but Sulaiman alayhi says the Quran says and verily we did bestow knowledge upon Sulaiman and Dawood. Dawood and Sulaiman, And both of them, father and son, both prophets said, Alhamdulillahi faddalana. All praise be to that Allah who gave his privilege and preference over many of his believing servants. So again, praise to Allah for everything that they had received. And that's the first message of the Qur'an. The Qur'an begins with, Alhamdulillahi rabbil alame. And then the Qur'an says, وَوَرِثَ سُلَيْمَانُ دَاوُودًا وقال يا أيها الناس علمنا منطق الطير وَأُوْتِينَا من كل شيء إن هذا لهو الفضل المبين. and سليمان inherited and he Suleyman succeeded داود in everything, in kingdom, in prophet, in knowledge, in wisdom. and سليمان عليه السلام said, O oh people, علمنا منطق الطير. we were meaning me and my father. We were taught the speech of the birds, and we were given of everything. Truly, this is a clear and manifest grace and bounty of Allah. So, they were given so much power, along with their knowledge, their kingdom, their profited, their treasures, wealth and riches. Sulaiman alayhi salam and his father were also taught the speech of the birds. Despite being given so much, and then the Qur'an... They they were forever praising and grateful to Allah and then the Quran mentions a story which illustrates this. The Quran says, once Sulaiman alayhi salam came out in a procession. Whenever people simply participate in a procession, they are filled with pride. they see the numbers, the pomp and the glory. And these are simple spectators. What's of the individual in whose honor the procession procession is being led? So Suleiman alayhi salam came out in a procession, at the head of the procession. And Allah says, who was included in this procession? His armies, his hosts. Armies of what? Allah says, min al-jinn wal wal The hosts and the armies of Sulaiman were amassed from amongst the jinn, the men and the birds. Birds and beasts, animals, men, jinn. And then there was a procession. And they were all filed, for whom you za'un they were filed. Each regiment, each section together. And then, حَتَّى إِذَا أَتَوْ عَلَىٰ وَعَادِ النَّمْلِ قَالَتْ نَمْلَةٌ يَا أَيُّهَا النَّمْلُ ادْخُلُوا مَسَاكِنَكُمْ لَا يَحْتِمَنَّكُمْ سَلَيْمَانُ وَجْنُودُهُمْ لَا يَشْعُرُونَ Until when they arrived at the valley of ants. A queen ant said to the colony, O oh ants, enter into your burrows, enter into your homes into your holes. لا يحتمنكم سليمان وجنوده وهم لا يشعرون Less Suleyman and his hosts, his armies, crush you and they don't even realize. فتبسّم ضاحكم من قولها So Suleyman a.s. smiled at the words of the ant. How? Because there he was. Marching in a procession of his armies, of jinn, of men, of birds, all filed. Allah had made subservient to his command the winds. So that even in the depth of a distant valley, even in the depth of a valley, when one ant spoke and communicated to the other ants, the winds subservient to his command... Carried and conveyed the speech and the communication of the ants to his ears, and by the knowledge of the speech of birds and animals that Allah had given him, he clearly understood its words. So, looking at this, sensing all of this, Sulaiman, what was his reaction? Was he proud? Was he arrogant? Was he exultant? No. He smiled in humility. And he instantly turned to Allah in prayer. And what was his dua? He said, Oh my Lord, O oh grant me the ability that I be grateful to your blessings and favors upon me and upon my father. And grant me the ability that I do good so that you may be pleased with me and include me through your mercy amongst your pious servants. Look at his prayer and look at the timing, the position, the location. At the height of his achievement, Sulaiman alayhi salam lowered and humbled himself And turn to Allah in humble prayer. Praying that Allah includes him amongst his humble, pious servants. Yusuf alayhi salam did exactly the same. The story of Yusuf alayhi salam is very beautiful. It's a very gripping narrative. But not for the reasons that we often assume the story of Yusuf we often mistake as simply being the story of Yusuf and Zuleikha a story of romance, of romance a story of unrequited love rather the story of Yusuf is one of great tears and tragedy it's about him it's about envy and the envy that shaitan whispers into the hearts of the creation, that incites them to hurting and even murdering their own siblings. So the story is about the hasad, the envy that shaitan cast into the hearts of his own blood brothers, half-brothers. And as a result of that envy, how shaitan came in between him and his brothers, and in between the family, a family of prophets. If Iblis can come in between the family of prophets, then what of others? So, Shaitan came in between the hearts of a family of prophets and cast brother against brother to the extent that they plotted to kill him. In the end, they abandoned him in a well. There he was picked up By a passing caravan. A young child. Who had everything. Handsomeness, beauty, wisdom, knowledge. A future as a prophet. And yet he was cast into the well and abandoned. Sold into slavery. Carried away into a foreign land from Canaan, Palestine, into Egypt. There sold at the marketplace. For a few dirhams. بَخْسٍ Allah says, he was sold in lieu of a lowly, a meager price. A few dirhams, only a few dirhams, a few pounds. مِنَ الزَّاهِدِينَ And despite all the beauty of Yusuf salam and his position his potential wa فِيهِمْ him in Allah blinded them in such a way or well, they were blinded that they were dis- they were uninterested in Yusuf and they sold him off for a meager price and then his journey in Egypt from the marketplace from the slave market to the pal- to the pal- palace of one of the courtiers of the king there he was seduced by the wife. When he spurned her advances, others plotted and schemed to get him to succumb to those temptations, to those advances, and yet Yusuf alayhi salam remained steadfast. He was cast and flung into prison on a false charge of rape, attempted rape. It's harsh to say. But on what grounds was Yusuf alayhi salam flung into prison? What was the charge? There had to be, even though it was a setup, there had to be a nominal charge. What was the charge? The charge was attempted rape. Imagine, a prophet of Allah, someone as chaste as Yusuf alayhis being charged with attempted rape, flung into prison, and left there to languish for many, many years. That was Yusuf alayhi <laughs> sala. He went through that whole journey, eventually his dreams, the interpretation of the dreams, the summoning of the king, his being restored to grace, and then ultimately becoming de facto ruler of Egypt. Finally, when he reached that position, he called for his parents. And his father had become blind because of his sorrow and his weeping over Yusuf, and then later over the weeping of his son, bin Yameen. He became blind. His, his sight was restored when he was brought to Egypt, the father and mother and the brothers. When the parents and the whole family visited Yusuf, alayhi salam, upon his call, and they came into the royal court, and there Yusuf, alayhi salam, was enthroned upon Egypt. His brothers recognized his position and fell prostrate before him. And he raised his parents upon the throne. And then, imagine how he must have felt. That child who had been plotted against by his own brothers and abandoned and eventually sold, he sees those brothers prostrating before him. He who was at one time sold sold into slavery at the marketplace in Egypt, he is now Lord of Egypt. And Shaytan who came in between his family, now his family is once again a loving, caring, single unit, all come together. How do you think he felt that achievement, that relief after grief, Yusuf alayhi salam turned in absolute humility, even though his brothers were prostrating before him. And he saw his dream of childhood come true. And this was the interpretation. He saw the live fulfillment of the interpretation of his dream as a child. His dream was fulfilled. It should have been a moment of great pride. Rather, Yusuf a.s. turned to Allah, just like S.A.W. And he said, Fathir as-samawati wal-arad. Anta wali fi al-dunya wal-akhirah. Tawaffani muslimun wal-hiqni bil-saliheen. He turned to Allah and said, O oh, originator of the heavens and the earth. You are my guardian, both in the world and in the hereafter. Accept me in death as a Muslim. And join me with the pious. Allahu Akbar. Two great prophets of Allah, Yusuf salam and alayhi salam, At their greatest moment of achievement, at the height of their fame and the peak of their power, they turn in humility to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Prophet sallallahu alayhi did exactly the same when he conquered Makkah al-Mukarramah in the eighth year of Hijrah. Here he was, soon to be master of the whole of Arabia, entering as a conqueror into the city which only eight years ago drove him away, plotted to kill him, and he had to flee the city alone in the darkness of the night, fearing for his life. Now he enters the city. That city which for eight years relentlessly waged war against him. And with the explicit intention of eradicating his movement, his followers, his religion. And killing him too. Now that city is at his feet. He enters as a conqueror. How do conquerors normally enter conquered cities? The sahaba radiyallahu anhum relate that the Prophet when he entered the city of Makkah al mukarrama at the conquest of Makkah, in humility his head was bowed so low that he was almost touching the horn of his saddle. And a man stood before him, quaking, shaking in his boots. Fearful of what the Prophet ﷺ would do and the vengeance he would wreak on his enemies on that day, rather the Prophet ﷺ was, the man was brought to him and he was quaking, shaking. Prophet ﷺ, out of fear, Prophet ﷺ said to him, Relieve yourself, be easy on yourself. And then in order to help him in order to ease things for him, in order to create that ease for him, the Prophet as a mighty conqueror, lowered and humbled himself by telling that person, that you have no need to fear me. Be easy on yourself. I am but the son of a woman who used to eat dried meat. And that was Rasulullah on the day of conquest. Speaking of Yusuf salam. The people of Quraysh asked him, That O oh Muhammad, what will it be this day? How will you treat us? He said to them, I say to you what Yusuf said to his brothers, La Aleikum al rahimin.' this day there will be no retribution against you, rather Allah will forgive you and He is the most merciful of the ones who show mercy. Every Prophet of Allah in the height of their power, at the height of their achievements, they were the most humble before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet Sulaiman alayhi salam, the Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa humility was such that it, would sh- it shames his own followers. And inshallah, I won't speak much about the humility of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa today because we won't have time, but I'll devote one session entirely to the specific topic of the humility of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So, ubudiyah, servitude is the greatest rank that Allah bestows upon any of his servants, be they normal people or the messengers of Allah. And we have been commanded by Allah. Allah loves those who are humble. The messengers of Allah are humble. The Prophet sallallahu was a supreme example of meekness, of humility, and simplicity. And his followers have been commanded to be as humble as he was. In a hadith related by Imam Muslim in his Sahih, from a companion Iyad ibn Hima an Rasulullah sallallahu says. وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ أَوْحَى إِلَيَّ حَتَّى لَا يَفْخَرَ أَحْدٌ عَلَىٰ أَحَدٌ وَلَا يَبْغِي أَحْدٌ عَلَىٰ أَحَدٌ Rasulullah sallam says that Allah revealed to me the instruction for all the people. Not just to the Prophet وسلم, but it's a collective instruction. وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ أَوْحَى إِلَيَّ And indeed Allah revealed to me an instruction. That, antawadahu, all of you be humble. حتى لا يفخر أحد على أحد ولا يبغي أحد على أحد So that one of you is not boastful over the other. And one of you does not transgress against the other. Boastfulness is, we love to boast. And it's a betrayal of our true feelings. We say we are humble, but we praise ourselves, and that betrays our self conceit. We say we are humble, we believe we are humble, we deny that we are arrogant. One of the first signs of arrogance is a denial of arrogance. Someone says, I am not arrogant. That in itself is the denial of arrogance. We are volatile within, we are unpredictable as human beings. We always have shaitan with us, every one of us has a shaitan as a companion. And through the constant incitement of that shaitan, who whispers and blows into us, we are always feeling... Yeah, we are volatile. So sometimes we feel down in the dumps. We feel subdued. And that's all to do with the nafs. The only reason we feel subdued is because the nafs is robbed of what it wants. And the nafs... What, what's the nourishment? What's the food of the nafs? The body wants to be nourished by food and drink. And... Enjoyment. Sorry... The the nourishment of the body is food and drink and the bestial pleasures of the flesh. The nourishment of the mind is inquiry, science, learning, knowledge, inquisitiveness, the answering of questions, mental stimulation. That's the enjoyment of the mind. That's the nourishment of the mind. The nourishment of the body is different to the nourishment of the mind. And the nourishment of the food of the soul, the food of the mind is knowledge, anything which is intellectual and stimulating. Entertainment, that's the food of the mind. Entertainment is not the food of the body, it's the food of the mind. Pleasure, bestial pleasures, food and drink, these are the food and the nourishment of the body. But the soul has food as well. The soul has its own nourishment. The good soul, the ruh, its nourishment is the spirituality of Allah and His Messenger sallallahu and the Qur'an. But the bad elements of the soul, what's the food of the soul? The food of the soul is, this is where fasting comes in. What matters the most is the body. It doesn't actually matter the most. It's the other way around. But we feel the more pressing need with the body. The body, followed by the mind, followed by the soul. Whereas in importance, it's the soul, then the mind, then the body. But we think of it the other way around, and we treat it the other way around. In our everyday life, practically, it's in reverse order. Body first, followed by mind, followed by the soul. Now, when the body... We hardly feel the hunger of the soul. We do feel the hunger of the mind, but never before the hunger of the body. When a person's hungry and thirsty, they, they're not interested in entertainment. You can't watch a film while she's extremely hungry. And forget about spirituality or loftier things. So when a person's hungry, they want to feed themselves. So feeding the body comes first. When a person's satiated, and their hunger has been satisfied, their thirst has been quenched, then they're now lazy. Now they've got time for other things, entertainment. So we watch, we read. So that's the food of the mind. But the food of the soul, the food of the good soul is spirituality. But the food of the corrupt soul, what is it? It has food. Do you know what that food is? Worship. The soul wants to be worshipped. The soul wants to be God. That's a craving of power. That's why people who, we have food and drink for the day, but we're never happy. We want more. People who are very rich, they've got palatial homes, they've got expensive cars, they've got all the money in the world that they would ever need. Or their families would ever need. They've got all the food and drink and clothing and accommodation they want. But they want more. They're always trying to be important. Why would a very rich person want to be important? We think that we want to be important so that we may become rich. That's not true. It's the other way around. Even when a person is rich... They see their riches as a means to importance. They want to become... We, in our shallow thinking, initially we think money is a goal in itself. But ultimately it's not a goal. Money is just a currency. That's why don't ever be deceived by some people who are not interested in money. We may think they're very pious. Because they're not interested in money at all. So you go to someone, they say that you've got a problem. And they say to you, yes, you have got a problem. And do you know what the cause is? Someone's done sorcery on you. Someone's cast a spell on you. How do I treat it then? I'll, I'll treat it for you. Oh, what's your charge? No charge. I won't take any money. So you immediately think, mashallah. I'm not saying all of them are like this, no. I'm just saying that even though sometimes we have to be careful, the ones who turn down money are a bit more sublime in their thinking. Because ultimately money is a currency. It's not a goal in itself. If someone wants something from you, they can pay you and then they can buy whatever they want from you. And that's it, you both go your separate ways. But if someone turns down money, and instead of money, they're not interested in your money, they're interested in your heart and mind. Their nafs wants your heart and mind. Once their nafs has your heart and mind, you are enslaved, you are caught up. Then your money belongs to them as well. If your heart and mind belong to them, your money belongs to them too. So the nafs, even people who are rich, they want to be important. Why be important? Because that's what the nafs wants. The nafs wants to be adored, worshipped, adulated. This is the true challenge with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The nafs challenges Allah. That's why Allah in the Quran says, Have you seen one who takes his nafs as his God besides Allah? So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in that hadith, He has commanded me that all of you should be humble so that one is not boastful over the other. Boastfulness is a great sin. When we boast, we betray our pride. When we praise ourselves, we betray our self-conceit. And the hadith continues, وَلَا يَبْغِي أَحْدٌ عَلَىٰ أَحْدٌ And so that one of you should not transgress against the other. Arrogance leads a person to holding others in contempt. When you hold others in contempt, you have no respect for them. That's when you transgress and sin against the other person. So that's that hadith. In another hadith related by Abu Hurairah radiyallahu and again related by Imam Muslim in his Sahih Rasulullah says wa Prophet sallallahu alayhi sallam says never did charity reduce wealth Charity does not reduce wealth. So if you give charity, if you give money in the way of Allah, your wealth won't be reduced. Allah will flower it, Allah will allow it to flourish, Allah will cause it to grow. Never does charity reduce a person's wealth, never. We may not see it, but it's one of those things. The second thing the Prophet ﷺ says is that never does Allah Increase a servant in anything through forgiveness, except in honour. That means the servant's forgiveness. I.e., when a person, when a human being chooses to forgive another person, this does not lower them. This does not disgrace them. It does not take anything away from them. If someone says, "Please forgive me," sincerely, if that, if a, if a person forgives the other for any wrongdoing, for any slight, for any offence, for any crime. If a person forgives the other, it doesn't reduce them. It doesn't take anything away from them. It doesn't make them small. They don't lose anything. Sometimes we hold on to our anger and we refuse to forgive because we feel a sense of loss. But forgiving is relieving. Forgiving is liberating. It takes a lot of energy to hold on to rage, and anger, and hatred. When a person forgives, the burden is lightened. And most importantly, the Prophet ﷺ says, when a person forgives, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not reduce the person in any way, rather Allah actually increases them in izzah and in honour. And the third thing, Prophet says, وَمَا تَوَادَعَ أَحَدٌ لِلَّهِ إِلَّا رَفْعَهُ اللَّهِ That never is a person humble for the sake of Allah, except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises them and elevates them. The lower a person becomes for the sake of Allah, the higher Allah raises them. And there's a hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn his Musnad, From Umar radiallahu anhu which I quoted earlier that he quoted the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam who said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala says Man tawadha ali hakadha rafa'tuhu hakadha that whoever is humble for me like this I shall raise him like this. And in another hadith related by Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, عنه, and again recorded by Imam Ahmad ibn al in Rasulullah says, من تواضع لله رفعه الله درجة حتى يجعله في ومن الله الله حَتَّى يَجْعَلَهُ فِي أَسْفَلِ السَّافِلِينَ Prophet says, whoever is humble for the sake of Allah by one degree, even a bit, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises him by one degree. Until, because he continues to be humble, so whoever is humble for the sake of Allah by one degree, Allah raises him by one degree, حَتَّى يَجْعَلُهُ فِي علين, Until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places him amongst the elite. علين, the highest elites. And whoever is arrogant against Allah by one degree. Now we may think we are not being arrogant against Allah. But the Prophet says, وَمَن تَكَبَّرَ عَلَى اللَّهُ And whoever is arrogant against Allah. Because ultimately, all sins of arrogance are against Allah. Because when we are arrogant, we are challenging Allah in His pride and in His kibriya and azhama. So وَمَن تَكَبَّرَ عَلَى اللَّهِ دَرَجَةً And whoever is proud, whoever is arrogant against Allah by one degree, وَدَعَهُ اللَّهُ دَرَجَةً Allah reduces him and bases and humiliate, humiliates him by one degree, حَتَّى يَجْعَلَهُ فِي أسفل السافلين, until Allah places him amongst the lowest of the low. He and others may not think of him as being the lowest of the low, but in the sight of Allah, he is the lowest of the low. That's a hadith of Imam Ahmed ibn Hamlin's musnad from Abu Sa'id al-Khudri And those who are humble, Allah loves them. Allah praises them. And Allah has stored great rewards for them. In the Quran, in one verse, Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala says, Wa bashiril muhbiteen Al Ladina idah wajjalbuhum wa sabidina alama sabahum will muteen salatim um mar zaknahum yun fiqmo, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and give glad tidings to the muhbiteen. And who are the muhbiteen? The humble. مخبتين means متواضعين. وَبَشِّلِ الْمُخْبِتِينَ وَبَشِّلِ الْمُخْبِتِينَ وَبَشِّلِ الْمُخْبِتِينَ and give glad tidings to the humble ones. And who are the humble ones? Those who are humble. And because of their humility, they have a number of beautiful traits. And Allah mentions them. What are they? الَّذِينِ إِذَا ذُكِرَ اللَّهُ وجلت قلوبهم. Those who when Allah is mentioned, their hearts tremble in fear. وَالصَّابِرِينَ على ما أصابهم, and those who are patient over the misfortunes that befall them. There's a subtle message in there. When a person is patient, a patient person is more humble. Sorry, a humble person, is, a, a humble person is more patient. An arrogant person is far less patient. Arrogant people are impatient. Why? Because of that sense of entitlement. They are angry with everybody. Impatient with everybody. Why? I should be the first to go. Others should wait for me. I shouldn't have to wait for anyone. They are more grieving at loss because they feel a sense of entitlement. If a good opportunity misses them, they are angry. Because they feel, I deserve that. I should have had that. Again, self-inflated sense of self-entitlement. So, arrogant people are far more impatient. They are even impatient and angry with Allah. So that if, this is why arrogant people, arrogance is regarded as the core of all diseases. It's the mother of all diseases, the origin and source of all diseases. Envy. If someone else has something good, we feel that he shouldn't have that, I should have it. I deserve it. So, the arrogant people are angry even with Allah. They are impatient even with Allah. So when a misfortune befalls them, they feel angry. They don't just feel pain and a sense of loss. They feel anger. Why? But why should this happen to me? I don't deserve this. Even God should not have done this to me. God should have given me better, more. So Allah says, وَالصَّابِرِينَ عَلَى مَا أَصَابَهُمْ Allah describes the humble ones. So their second trait is, وَالصَّابِرِينَ عَلَى مَا أَصَابَهُمْ They are patient over what befalls. And then the third trait, وَالْمُقِيمِ الصَّلَاةِ They establish prayer. وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ And of what we have given them they do spend. Humble people are more charitable. Humble people are more patient, more charitable, more devout in prayer, and they are soft of heart. 'Cause the first trait, when Allah has mentioned, wajalat their hearts tremble in fear. So Allah says, give glad tidings to the humble ones, and these are their traits. In another verse of the Quran, speaking of the virtue of humble ones, Allah says, "Tilka akhirah Najaluha Fil wala this abode of the hereafter we have reserved for those, or we shall make it for those who do not seek loftiness in on earth. And nor do they seek corruption. Those who seek ulu fil ard, meaning those who seek high-handedness and loftiness on earth, they won't have loftiness in the hereafter. It's simple. We either seek to be great in the world or great in the hereafter. If you seek loftiness in the world, Allah will deny it to you in the hereafter. But if you deny yourself loftiness in the world, Allah will grant you loftiness in the Akhirah. That's what the verse says. So now how do we instill humility in ourselves? One the way we walk, the way we speak, two the way we speak and carry ourselves. Number 3, the way we dress. The way we think. Humility should be in dress, in demeanour, in attitude, in gait, in walking, even in thinking, and in the heart. In dress, we should be careful about how we dress. Of course, it's good for a person to look good and presentable, and there is no harm in that, as long as there is no arrogance. But when a person dresses simply... They attract less attention. When they attract less attention, they are chipping away at the evil part of the soul which craves attention and worship. They are forcing themselves to be humble. And this is why in a beautiful hadith related by Imam Ahmed ibn his Muslim, from Mu'adh ibn Anas radiyallahu an. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, من ترك اللباس و يقدر عليه لله تبارك وتعالى دعاه الله يوم القيامة Da'ahu Allah wa ta'ala yawm al-qiyamati ala, ala al-khala'iq, awa ala rūūs al-khala'iq, hatta yukhayyirahu fī hulalil īimāni ayyaha shaa. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, whoever leaves wearing certain clothes, even though he can, so he has the clothes, or he has the means and the wealth to purchase them, but he doesn't. Why? the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam says whoever al-libas wa huwa yaqdiru alayhi tawadu'an wa ta'ala whoever leaves aside wearing certain clothes even though he can and has the ability why does he do that out of humility for the sake of allah the blessed the almighty the lofty then what will happen on the day of resurrection Allah will summon this individual ala aruusil khalaiq over the heads of the whole of creation before the whole of creation, and then Allah subhanahu wa taala summoning him before the whole of creation because he abandoned a certain item of clothing in the dunya. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam says Allah will summon him before the heads of the whole of creation until he presents him with. The suits of iman that he can have any one of them that he chooses. Suits of iman. حَتَّى يُخَيِّرَهُ fi حُلَلِ iman. You leave aside wearing a suit in the dunya out of simplicity and humility, Allah will dress you in a beautiful suit before the whole of creation in the hereafter. That's out of humility and simplicity. Speaking of humble clothes again in the hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Muslims from Abu Umama Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi said was Sahabi radiyallahu says Abu Umama says once we were discussing the dunya with the prophet in front of the prophet sallallahu alayhi meaning the companions amongst themselves they were discussing the world the dunya so the prophet sallallahu alayhi said to them ألا tasma'un ألا tasma'un al badatha min al-iman al min al-iman he said addressing the companions don't you listen can't you hear simplicity i.e. means being unkempt not really looking after yourself in appearance and in clothes so he said al badatha simplicity in appearance and in clothing is from iman. Indeed, sim- he repeated it twice. Indeed, simplicity, appearance in appearance and clothing is part of iman. Innal <inaudible> badadata al iman. This is why Allah loves those who are humble, who look humble, who dress humbly. Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi, relates haditha in haritha of Wahab, who says, the Prophet wasallam said to the sahaba, radiyallahu <inaudible> anhum, ala ukhbirukum, بِأَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ كُلُّ ضَعِيفٍ مُتَضَعَّفٍ لَوْ أَقْسَمْ عَلَى اللَّهِ لأبره. أَلَا أُخْبِرُكُمْ بِأَهْلِ النَّارِ كُلُّ Prophet said, Should I not inform you of the people of Jannah? Who are the people of Paradise? Then the Prophet said, Every weak, meek person Mutadaf who is considered weak and looked down upon by others. These are the people of Jannah. Should I not inform you of the people of the fire? Then the Prophet ﷺ said, Kullu Jawadim every عطل, Vulgar, harsh tongued person Jawad swaggering. Every foul-tongued, harsh, jawad, swaggering, mustakbir, arrogant person. These are the people of Jahannam. Those who swagger, those who are boastful, those who speak harshly, and those who are arrogant. And let the arrogance show in their swagger, in their gait, in the way they walk. So we should be. How do we instill humility and simplicity by being simple in appearance and in clothing? One, not craving attention and denying our nafs the attention that it craves. By being humble and soft in speech, just as Allah says, وعباد الرحمن الذين يمشون على الأرض هَوْنَا وإذا خاطبهم الجاهلون قالوا سلاما. That the servants of the gracious one are those who walk softly upon the earth. And when the ignorant address them, they say a thing of peace. They are not harsh-tongued. They are not vulgar in speech. They are soft. And the opposite are those who are arrogant. How do we instill humility and simplicity in ourselves? By dressing simply. By speaking softly. By walking humbly. Allah hates those who swagger. With a protruding chest, the lifting of the shoulders, walking with a swagger, with great movement of the shoulders, with head held up high. Allah Allah hates this walk. Once in battle, the Prophet saw a man who walked proudly with a protruding chest, with a swagger, and he marched towards the enemy. Prophet ﷺ said, looking at him and the other sahaba who were with him, he said, that walk is the most detested and resented walk and hated walk in the sight of Allah, except in battle. Otherwise, Allah hates that walk. And the verses are mentioned at the beginning. إِنَّ Allah لَا Kulla كُلَّ مُخْتَالٍ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quotes in the Qur'an. Allah says in Surah Al-Isra, وَلَا تَمشي فِي الْأَرْضِ مَرَحًا And do not walk upon the earth. مَرَحًا exultantly. Do not walk with pride. Do not walk haughtily. Do not walk... Being exultant. Because when a man walks in that manner, how does he walk? With head lifted up high. With the stomping of the feet. With a swagger. So a person walks hard. Raising, lifting and stamping one's feet hard. Lifted shoulders, lifted head. With a swagger. So Allah describes that walk, and Allah says, al-ard. You will never rip the earth. Nor will you ever reach the height of the mountains. Why mention that in relation to walking? Immediately. That do not walk upon the earth exultantly. You will never rip the earth, nor will you reach the height of the mountains. It's because when you walk in that manner, it's almost as though you lift your head so that you can be as high and as tall as the mountains. And you walk hard with the stamping of the feet in such a manner that you believe that the stamping of your feet will open up the earth beneath you. Allah hates that walk. And that's why Luqman السلام, advised his son. How did he what did he tell him? That, oh my son, do not turn your cheek away from the people, i.e., when you speak to people, stand before them humbly, sit before them humbly. Do not arrogantly turn your cheek away. Walk to people with a full face. That's what the Prophet wasallam used to do. And then he says, and do not walk arrogantly upon the earth, exultantly upon the earth. And then he advised his son. And Allah tells us elsewhere in the Qur'an. "Inna Allah la yuhibbu Allah does not like any مُخْتَال, swaggering person. فَخُور, boastful person. These verses again tell us, be humble in speech. Be humble in gait and your manner of walking. Speak softly. Be humble and simple in clothing. Pe- the people of arrogance are the people of Jahannam. The people of humility are the people of Jannah. Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi layu a hadith from Abu Hurayrah radiyaAllahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, said, The fire and Jannah, paradise and hell, argue. They contested one another. So the fire said, do you not see? I have been privileged with every arrogant Jabbar tyrant. And Jannah said, what is it with me? That only the humble and the lowly people enter me. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed both Jannah and Jahannam, saying, oh Jahannam, you... O Jannah, you are my mercy. Through you I show mercy to whomever I wish. And O Jahannam, you are my azab, my punishment. Through you I punish whoever I wish. And both of you shall have your fill. Arrogance belongs to Jahannam. Humility belongs to Jannah. And finally, I'll end by giving... A few practical words of advice on how we can instill this humility in us. First of all, even before simplicity in clothing and speech, first of all, we should fear. We should fear arrogance. We should fear pride. Because it distorts and destroys everything. It distorts our thinking. It prevents us from seeing the truth. Even the truth of the Creator. It prevents us from learning. If you want to learn, if you want true knowledge... Be humble. Allah will bless you with knowledge. If you are arrogant, especially in knowledge, Allah will blind you. Allah says, I will turn away from my signs those who, are, those who are arrogant upon the earth. So, be humble. First thing, be fearful of arrogance, because it distorts and destroys everything. Imam Ahmad bin hanbal narrates a hadith. From the son of Abdurrahman ibn Awf, radiyallahu anhu, Abu Salamah, who says that the two companions, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As and Abdullah ibn Umar, the son of Umar ibn al-Khattab, both of them met at Marwa, the hill of Marwa in uh, in Makkah al-Mukarramah, near the Masjid al-Hara. So Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As and Abdullah ibn Umar ibn al-Khattab, radiyallahu anhum ajma'een, both met. And they both conversed, and their students were with them. Then Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As left. And Abdullah ibn Umar ibn al-Khattab عنه, remained standing there weeping at the hill of Marwa. So they said to him, O oh, Abu Rahman, why do you weep? What makes you weep thus? He said, Abdullah ibn Umar, just inform me that he heard the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa say, من كان في قلبه حَبَّةٍ مِّنْ مِّنْ كِبْرٍ أَكَبَّهُ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ وَجْهِهِ في النار, That he heard the messenger of Allah وسلم, say, Whoever has a mustard, seeds, weight of arrogance in his heart, of pride in his heart, Allah will fling him flat on his face in the fire of Jannah. So Abdullah ibn Umar عنه, was standing there at the hillock of Marwa near Al-Masjid Al-Haram weeping. The lesson from this, we should fear pride. Just as the Sahaba عنهم, feared it, it reduced him to tears. We should fear it. And in our fear, we should seek Allah's protection from pride. And how do we do that? Allah says, and your Lord has said, in the Qur'an, Allah says, وَقَارَ رَبُّكُمْ And your Lord has said, Call out to me, pray to me. I will answer your prayers. And whoever is too arrogant to pray to me, whoever is too arrogant to call out to Allah, they shall soon enter Jahannam lowly and in disgrace. So, how do we seek protection from arrogance? In our fear of arrogance, we should be fearful of pride. How do we seek protection from pride? By praying to Allah. Just as the Prophet ﷺ would pray to Allah, Ibn Majah and Ahmad ibn Hanbal both relate in their books from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu that the Prophet ﷺ said, اللهم إني أعوذ rajim wa الشيطان wa وهمزه wa ونفثه That, O Allah, I seek your protection and I seek refuge in you from the accursed and rejected Shaitan and from his hums, his touch, which means madness. And his blowing, which means pride and his spitting, which means poetry. The the explanation of all three things was given by Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu, otherwise the dua of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was simply, Allahumma inni a'udhubbika min al-rajim wa hamzahi wa nafkhihi wa nafthih, oh Allah I seek refuge in you from the accursed devil, from his and from his touch, and from his blowing, and from his spitting. And then Abdullah ibn Mas'ud explained the meaning of all three. The touch of Shaytan is madness. The blowing of shaitan is pride. And the spitting of shaitan is poetry. Undesirable poetry. Rapid poetry. That's how they used to recite poetry. So. The blowing of shaitan, this is what I said earlier, that every one of us has a shaitan with us who blows into us. And that blowing into us makes us proud. We feel proud because of the nafkh and the blowing of shaitan. So even Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sought refuge in Allah and His protection from the blowing of shaitan, which is pride. So we should make dua in that manner. We should be humble in our dress and our appearance, humble in our gait, our manner of walking, humble in our speech. And we should fear it, just as the Sahaba عنهم, feared it. And finally, we should take an example from the humility and the simplicity of the Sahaba and that of Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And I'll leave that till another occasion. InshaAllah, in one of the upcoming speeches, I will devote the whole session to the topic of the humility of the Prophet sallallahu wasallam, and his noble companions. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables all of us to understand the words of Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam, May Allah make us humble in our minds in our hearts, in our appearance our gates in our speech May Allah make us amongst His true servants Wasallallahu sallallahu ala abdihi wa rasooli <police> nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in subhanakallahumma bihamdik ashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Astaghfiruka wa